Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. We want to thank you for joining us today. We are so excited about what God is doing at Warehouse Church in your life and through your life. I know you're going to hear on this on our church service today some things that are coming up. I hope that you have your, I sent an email out last week about having your re-entry strategy ready to get back to church for our live services. We have something really exciting that we're doing next uh, Sunday, March the 28th. We're having our auction for our student ministry to help our kids go to camp. And we have lots and lots of crazy things from a hoagie cheesesteak night to my house for dinner that your family can bid on, or you can bid on some cleaning services and organization services that my wife, the master organizer, is gonna do. We have Warehouse Church gear, swag, or whatever you wanna call it. We have tickets to different sporting events. We have some pies. We have lots and lots of stuff. Help our teenagers come to camp. Listen, we're paying for your lunch for Babe's Chicken. Your lunch is gonna be paid for. So come to church with two checks next Sunday. Your tithe check, of course, I'm just kidding when I tell you that, but it's all serious. Bring a check next week so you can be bid on stuff for the youth auction right after church. You'll hear more about that throughout this broadcast today. Hey, we are in the middle of a series called Influencer, and what I wanna talk to you about today has to do with influencing the next generation. We're gonna look at a big wide scope of time in the Old Testament uh, back in the beginning of the, of the Bible, actually, in the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to go Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, and some different passages that I want to read to you today. But I want to talk to you a little bit about the, 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 the understanding of what each generation... We talk about generations. Now, our country has labeled generations all the way back to, I believe, uh, right when our nation was born. Um, but I'm going to read to you from this past century... The, the generational titles that you are already aware of and know, uh, from 1928 to 1945, that generation is called the silent generation. Now I'm gonna talk to you, I'm gonna give you a little bit of positive and a little bit of a challenging area for each generation that I mentioned to you all the way to, to this current generation that we're in. But from 1928 to 1945, that was called the silent generation. They were known for being hardworking, loyal, respectful, but... <laughs> In today's world, they are tech challenged, right? So those that were born from 1928 to 1945 today have all these integrity things that are amazing, but a little bit of tech challenge because of course we understand technology is new. From 1946 to 1964, uh, probably a generation we, we're more familiar with that we hear a lot of is the baby boomer generation. That was your post-World War II that built our country up. That was the industrial age that our country just just blew up all over the place with housing industry and people were buying their own homes and all kind of industry that was starting during that time. This generation has is, is known for a great worth ethic, work ethic, high level of character and integrity, but a challenging area for this generation, a little bit hesitant to change. They kind of, when change comes around, they're like, I'm not really sure about that. Now the next generation, 
And I'm proud to tell you this is the generation that I'm part of. From 1965 through 1980 is Generation X. And um, this, is, this first part is not necessarily true about me, but these are in today's culture. Now, all these, all these generations are, are, a lot, are, are represented in today's culture at one way or another. This generation, Generation X, is known today as the biggest revenue generators uh, in, in our economy today. Now, I'm proud to say that, even though I may not be one of the biggest revenue generators in our economy. But here's the thing, here's a challenging area for Gen X folks like myself. They're not satisfied with senior management. Little bit of questioning authority starts to happen and um, trying to position themselves where they can even be that authority because they, don't, they sometimes don't agree with the, the direction that their company is going into. Uh, here's the next one. Those born from 1981 to 1997. This is all of my kids except one were born in this generation. They are... The millennials or Generation Y. Very independent workers, right? They're very, very independent. Not much on the full workday. They like like a 35-hour to 38-hour workday. And they don't have necessarily as good as a work ethic as some of the previous generations. But technology is is big part of this generation. And there's more information in this generation that was out than any of the other previous generations put together. But we also understand that compounds with each new generation. So that's generation um, Y or the millennials. Now here's the next generation. One of my children were born in here. 1997 to 2012 is generation Z. They are known for being very entrepreneurial, but cynical of their predecessors. They're cynical of the people that came before them that maybe have taught them the same thing. Cynical of some of their college professors. Cynical of some of their uh, people that they worked under when they started out in the workforce. And then 2013 to present, this generation is not fully uh, composed yet because we have about another uh, probably eight years before this generation is, is totally labeled, the next one starts, is Generation Alpha. Generation Alpha is still very young, but is on track to be the most transformative age group ever. Generation Alpha. So those are your generations today. Now, we're going to talk about four generations in the time from Deuteronomy through the book, early part of the book of Judges. Four generations. We're going to go from Moses to Joshua to two generations after Joshua and understand This idea of influencing the next generation. Because here's the truth, uh, church, whether you know it or not. You are, now we've been talking about influencer, right? We've been asking people to take the challenge to to understand that they can use their influence for kingdom-minded work. Reach your people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we talk about using your influence today to transform the generation that's coming up after you, that can be applied to your grandparenting, to your parenting, to maybe some couples mentoring some young married couples, to some seniors that are married, that that will mentor some some younger uh, people that are one or two generations away from them. It's significant to know that you're already influencing people by the way that you walk, talk, act, live, treat people, live around your family. There's already an existing influence. What we want you to do throughout this series is choose to influence people in a way that honors and glorifies our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So whether or not you know it, you're already an influencer. So let's look at these passages together today. First one I want to read to you, and we're going to go through these uh, this morning kind of in a row so you know where I'm trying to go with this. We have Moses' generation, Joshua generation, then just two generations after him. We know in the book of Deuteronomy, a very well-known passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4, Moses, okay, this is the guy that was in charge of all the children of Israel, God's chosen leader, God's chosen mouthpiece to lead the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, right? He's the BMOC, big man on campus. This guy is large and in charge. In verse number four of chapter six of Deuteronomy, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You know this passage because this is something that Jesus also repeated from the Old Testament when he was here on the earth, written in the New Testament. So this is in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, uh, the words of this verse. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. And then Moses goes on to say this about this passage. These words which I command you today will be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, the next generation, You will talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You will bind them up as a sign in your hand. They shall be as frontlets on your eyes or written on your eyelids. You will write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. Moses was telling them the most important thing that you will ever teach people is this. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He said, love God. Tell your kids about it. Make sure it's on signs. Like we all have these signs uh, throughout our houses and in our neighborhoods, right? Telling people where to go, where to turn. On the front of your house, on the front of my house, if you ever come up where I live, you'll see a big eagle's flag out in front of my house, right? I'm marking my house. What Moses is saying here is that mark your, when people go walk up to your house, there ought to be something there that's written down or demonstrated by you that you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, okay? So there's Moses considered to be the leader of the the, the nation of Israel as they were coming out of Egyptian bondage, getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses is getting ready to step off the scene now, right? So with Moses stepping off the scene, God appoints Moses kind of number one guy in charge, Joshua. Joshua has some great things to say about what Moses talked about. Joshua said in Joshua chapter one, in, in verse number seven through nine, He says, be strong and courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, it says here, my servant, but Moses, my leader, right? The guy that was the leader in my life told us all these things, right? These are things that you and I are supposed to do. My servant Moses commanded you, do not turn from it from your right hand or your left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law will not depart out of from your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. And, and then he says again, haven't I commanded you be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So Joshua is taking this lesson that Moses taught him to the next level. He says this, Don't let God's word depart out of your mouth. And we know that God used through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Moses, to pen the words and the books of 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The first five books of the Bible called the book of the law, uh, uh, a word that's used among theologians is the Pentateuch, but they're the books of the law. Genesis through Deuteronomy. They had, now, they didn't all have a copy of it like we're able to have today, but they were words that were read to the entire nation of Israel. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, uh, in, in their place of worship, these words were, were, were written by them. And Joshua says, don't let the book of the law depart from you. He says, don't veer a little bit to the right or veer a little bit to the left. He says, you go straight towards the things that Moses, who was our leader, and I'm next generation leader, has taught us, we're gonna do the same thing. And when we keep God's word in our life, and this is our compass, we're going the way that God's word has taught us to go, right? When we're going the way that God's word has taught us to go, we're, we're not veering to the right, we're not veering to the left. Joshua says this, that's when you'll be prosperous. That's what's the recipe for success is, following God's word for your life. God's gonna bless you. God is gonna be with you. He says this at the end of this passage, wherever you go, if you're following him. Okay, so those are pretty strong words from Joshua. Fast forward to Joshua, the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua's getting ready to go off the scene. Just like Moses said in the book of Deuteronomy, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, just before Moses goes off the scene. And then Joshua starts off his leadership. Don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth. You will meditate therein day and night, for then you'll be prosperous, and then you'll have great success. God's never gonna leave you. God's never gonna forsake you. Now let's go and go to the promised land and, and take this land that God promised us, right, as he starts his leadership. Now all throughout the book of Joshua, you see city after city, challenge after challenge. Israel pretty much takes almost all of the promised land, Joshua's getting ready to leave the scene. He's getting ready to die. He's giving his last words to the children of Israel, right? So you have Moses giving his words to the children of Israel and Joshua. Then you have Joshua as the new leader giving challenging words to the children of Israel. Now, Joshua, Moses' son in the ministry, if you could say, or predecessor, starts to give his last kind of last will and testament to the children of Israel in Joshua 24 Verses 14 through 16, he says this. Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord today, choose for yourselves this day who you will serve. Whether it's gonna be the gods which your fathers served which were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land that you dwell, then he says this, and many of you have this verse as a placard in your house, Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, far be it for us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods, right? So they agreed with him. They said, we're gonna do what you told us to do, Joshua. We're, we, we're gonna make the choice today to serve God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all, love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, like Moses told us. And today we are gonna consciously choose to serve God. Now he gives a little warning here. He knows the heart of a lot of people in his country. You see, when they were capturing people, conquering people, it started to become a big influence just like it was back in Egypt, and Joshua refers to it here. Your fathers like the gods, and when you say the gods, they're not the gods, they're just these things that didn't exist, objects, 
Baal, Ashtaroth, different symbols, the golden calf when Moses was up in the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. They had the struggle where they would worship whatever neighbor they had that would, oh, you need to worship our God. It's the God of fertility. Oh, you need to worship this God. It's the God of this. It's the God of our animals. It's the God of goddess of love. All these different gods that they would worship that didn't exist. They were made up things by people and it took their attention off of God. And Joshua warned them, don't you go back and worship those gods that they worshiped in Egypt like your fathers did. Don't you worship the gods of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Moabites, and all these people that you worship only God. And their response to that, again, uh, in, in, in uh, Joshua chapter 24, they celebrate. They said, far be it. We're not going to forsake the gods. We're not going to forsake our God. We're not going to forsake our God and worship these other gods. We're on track with you, Joshua. We're going to do what you told you to do, right? Said, Moses, Joshua, and the people that he was leading, right? You have three generations there. Look what happens to the fourth generation. In, Ju- in the book of Judges, just a few pages ahead, chapter number two, I'm gonna read verses six through 15. Listen to what God's word says. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the children of Israel went to their own inheritance to possess the land. So he spoke to everybody, all the leaders, as many people as that were gathered there that day. They conquered the land. Those that were of bigger Tribes got bigger cuts of land, if you can read that in the book of Numbers. Smaller tribes got smaller cuts of land. There was a couple tribes that were just outside of the border coming in on the other side of the river that they wanted that cut of land, Joseph's sons and daughters and so on, his inheritance. But you've all, everybody got their land. Everybody got their inheritance, right? They possessed the land. Verse number seven. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua. They served under Moses. They served under Joshua. And even the elders who outlived Joshua, right? They kind of were alive during his time, connected, heard Joshua, were under Joshua, lived a little bit longer than him. They stayed faithful to Joshua, the Bible tells us. And then we read this in verse number eight. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died And when he was 110 years old, they buried him within the border of his inheritance at Timnath, Heres, in the mountains of Ephraim, on the north side of Mount Gash. When all all of that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel." Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served, the Bible tells us, Baals or or false gods. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed the other gods among the people uh, who were all around them. They bowed down to them. The Bible says this made God angry. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroths and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he did deliver them up into the hands of plunderers who, who despoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity as the Lord God had said and as the Lord had sworn to them. And the Bible says that they were greatly distressed. You can read all throughout the book of Judges. A leader would rise up 
You guys need to repent. Stop worshiping the gods of all these people. Don't let, here's what they were saying to them. Literally, don't worship the gods of all these other nations who we are bringing under us. We have captured them. We want them to worship our God. But what was happening was the outside world was influencing them. Is that not relevant today? And God's hand of blessing. Moses, Joshua, their kids, the kids after that. Joshua's grandchildren's generation, if you will, forsook the worship of God and worship false gods. God took his hand of blessing away from them and he was displeased by them. I read this and as a father and a grandfather, it scares me because I know that I have a responsibility to influence the next generation with biblical truth and values and I ask myself this all the time, am I succeeding at this or am I failing at this? I wonder how people my age that have grandkids, you think about Joshua. I don't know if I'll live to be 110 years old. That would be awesome. But Joshua lived to be 110 and his grandkids, people's age, didn't know, didn't know how much, all the stories of how they conquered the land. Didn't know how Israel was, was left that captivity about 100 uh, years earlier from Egyptian captivity didn't understand maybe all the way back in the book of Genesis how in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Didn't know the story of Adam and Eve and, and their reconciliation after the fall of man, uh, their reconciliation to God. Didn't understand the story of Noah. Didn't understand the story of the early fathers of the nation of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and Joseph. They didn't understand all those things because that generation failed to teach their kids the truth. <laughs> It's kind of scary when you think of that, the responsibility we have so that the next generation will become devoted followers of Jesus Christ. How do you and I influence the next generation with biblical truth and values? I'm gonna give you just a couple things to think about today. Here's number one. You've gotta live them out before you pass them out. You gotta live them out. You can't just tell them, and I've gotten in trouble years ago. I used to tell my kids getting in the car, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on, put your seatbelt on. And Christina said to me, my oldest daughter, when she was a kid, Dad, how come you're not wearing your seatbelt? Well, I don't have to, I'm in the front. Well, Dad, that seems like it's even a more dangerous area. And Kim kind of gave her the look of, mm-hmm, and agreed with my daughter instead of standing up for me. But how many times in our life do we kind of have this thing where we say, where we tell people to do as I'm telling you to do, not what I'm actually doing? Do as I say, not as I do, right? We've got to live them out and value them before we pass them out. Here's the thing. If we're going to teach our kids to pray, remember the disciples said to Jesus in John chapter 9, teach us to pray just like John taught his disciples how to pray. If we're going to teach our kids to pray, it's not going to be because we show them the Bible where, and it's, this is a good thing to do, right? But you're not going to teach them to pray by just letting them read the Lord's Prayer. You teach them to pray when you pray before meals, when you pray before bed at night, when you say, hey, let's just pray for this person that's going through a difficult time right now. Prayer is taught by them hearing you, mom and dad, grandmas and grandpas, uh, aunts and uncles, mentoring couples, you teach people to pray by you praying when you're with them. Values are taught by the way that you live daily. If you're gonna tell your kids to be truthful and honest, honest in their life and have character and have integrity, you tell them that, 
You make sure you tell the truth. You make sure your words are, like the Bible says, let your yeses be yeses and your noes be noes. And, and those are great lessons to teach from the Bible, but they will be understood if they're demonstrated by you in front of your kids and grandkids. Morality is taught by what we live and endorse. We could, we could tell our kids when they go, you gotta be home by a certain time. You can't you, talk to them about, about premarital sex, talk to them about purity. We could talk to them about all those things, but then if they come into our living room and, watch, and, and they see us watching shows that have immorality demonstrated, that have nudity demonstrated by stuff we're watching, listen, they're gonna do what we endorse, not just what we say. And we watch stuff on TV, uh, things that we shouldn't watch. You know what happens to us, church? We're telling our kids, it's not what we're telling you is the truth, it's what we're living is the truth. Morality is taught by what we live and what we endorse. Church, priori church prioritization is taught by your words, but also by your actions. Listen, I, we have great families that attend this church, bring their kids, and it is a value. But there are a lot of other churches that meet throughout the week where, where we're choosing sports, activities. And listen, I'm not, I'm not ever, ever gonna tell you that you shouldn't take a vacation. I'm not ever gonna tell you that when it's spring break, you shouldn't grab your kids and, and, and take some time. That, that's significant and important. But is church prioritized not just by your words, but by your actions? Something Kim and I started doing years ago when we were challenged by this, because we kind of had the idea when you take off, when you're on vacation, you're on vacation from everything. You're on vacation from your work, you're on vacation from your responsibilities, and you're on vacation from church. But we started thinking about that. So we're putting church on the same level as our work. And when, you know what we've really found a lot of joy in? When we go on vacation and go out of town, and we're not like travel, and it's happened to us. We've been in the air, we've been traveling physically where we're not able to attend uh, that, that Sunday service. But we've found so much joy in attending other churches. Honestly, because we could go in and enjoy church and we can leave without the responsibilities before, during, and after and just sit in church, put my arm around her. I don't get to experience that all the time. And now with online church, when I was sick and had COVID and I couldn't be in church, I got to watch our church service online and say hi to people and comment to people. Maybe next time I am traveling, if it's a Sunday morning, I'm gonna watch our church service online so I could stay connected to that. Listen, if your kids see that church is important to you, you're teaching them that value. If your kids see that your church is on the same level as your other responsibilities, they're gonna see that that's a value. If I go to church, sometimes it's okay. Once a month, twice. You know the average, listen to this. George Barna wrote this in his book called Revolution. The average Christian that says they're committed attends church. On the average, this might not be true about you, committed Christian attends church less than two times a month. It's like 1.65. Now, how do you go to church 0.65 on a Sunday? I don't know, but I think you understand what averages mean, right? That's how many times the average what somebody would call themselves committed Christian attends church 1.65 a month. And what you're telling your kids that the other 2.35 services a month of my addition is correct, that I'm not attending, that's more important than the church services I am attending. Marriage values are taught by your words and your actions. 
the way that you love your wife, the way that you love your husband, the way that you demonstrate, the way that you live out your marriage vows every single week, every single day, every single moment. Your kids, listen, your kids know how good your marriage is because you live it out in front of them every day. You could say in public, I could tell you in front of the church, oh, I love my wife, she's so beautiful, and I could do all this Facebook stuff. You know, I, I've got the, the greatest wife in the whole world. I'm gonna keep it hot with the one I got. And I could say all these things publicly about my wife, but my kids can tell you whether or not that stuff is true because they see it demonstrated every single day. They, my grandkids see it demonstrated. I see my grandkids at my house more daily than I do my, my own children sometimes. My grandkids know that when I tell them I love their kiki or their grandma, they know whether or not I'm telling the truth by the way that I live it out in front of them. Marriage values are taught by your words and your actions. Here's to say, what we say is what's taught. What we live is what's caught. What we say is what's taught. You should do this, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. By the way that we live, we are giving value to the things that we say, and it's much better when it's caught than when it's taught, church. Here's the second thing. Our community does assist us in in this idea of passing our faith on to the generation. Our community by meaning our life group, our church family. That's a big, big, big part of your community and raising your kids. Listen, it takes all of us to help people in our church raise their kids. Kids in the church need to know different adults, different grandmas and grandpas. Grandmas and grandpas that don't have kids in our church need to adopt some grand, uh, grandkids in our church so they could see that value lived out all the time. But here's the thing, it starts with you. It starts with you, mom and dad. It starts with you, grandmom and grandpa, to your grandkids. What we excuse in moderation, our kids will pursue in excess. So what are we saying is okay? Well, that's okay if you go away with your boyfriend or girlfriend for a weekend. Well, it's okay if you do this, this, and this. It's okay if you watch something on Netflix that has you know, some sexual content in it and just a little bit of nudity. Or it's okay if, if I attend this thing over here that's, it's not necessarily moral, but, but it's, it's, it's really not that. What we excuse in moderation, and boy, we can really get that, we can really toe that line. Well, I, and here's something I hear people say all the time. I, I, I said something about watching the show years ago on HBO, and it was, it was, a, it was a raunchy show. I saw like the first two minutes of it while, while Kim and I were away somewhere. And we were like, ah, turn the, turn the TV off. And I was kind of shocked by the content of it. And we talked about it in church. And somebody came up to me in church that day and said, Pastor, I don't agree with you. That nudity and that sex stuff, this was a guy too. That doesn't bother us. I said, well, how does it make your kids? How do they see you when they see you viewing that stuff? You know, what we excuse in moderation, our kids will do and excess. Here's number three. How are you? This is the last thing. How are you influencing the next generation when it comes to their belief system in the Lord Jesus Christ? I was a student pastor for a long time. That was my first years and years of ministry were spent ministering to students. And we had, boy, we had kids who, who were runaways that stayed at our house. We had, not necessarily in the legal system, fostering kids, but we, we did foster some kids for some families in distress. I could think of a young man that lived with us for a while. Had a big impact on my family. We had to double up our girls in other bedrooms so that we could give this young man a bedroom for him to stay out at our house 
for this period of time. And we kind of we got into our regular routine in life. We got up, we got ready for school in the morning, we had our breakfast, we got in the car, we drove all the kids to school, we picked them up at the end of the day and after practices and came home and Kim had a nice dinner for us at the end of the day. We were sitting there having dinner and we would, we would have the food out there. And I'm not saying that we did this every time, but the majority of the times we did this, okay, let's pray for our dinner. Who wants to pray today? And one of our girls would want to pray or I would pray if nobody did. We just bowed our heads. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food on our table. Thank you for this young man who's living with us right now. Just bless him, bless his family. Lord, help us all to make good decisions today. Help us to be thankful. You know, whatever we would pray for that day, in Jesus' name, amen. And then we would just start, you know, Chucking bowls of spaghetti and meatballs and bread all over the place so everybody could have some. And this young man looked at me with eyes filled with water. I've never sat down with my family for dinner and heard anybody pray like that for before. His parents didn't teach him that. And we're thankful that we were able to. And this young man attends church with his wife today. And we're so thankful that God used us a tiny bit to have an influence in this young man's life when it comes to his faith. But church, you are influencing. But is church a priority for you? It will be for your kids. If it's just an activity, it won't even be just an activity for your kids if it's not a priority. Your marriage, your faith, your walk with God daily, the way that you live, the way that you act, the way that you talk, they're gonna follow you. They're going to follow you. Remember that song a few years ago? I think it was by Harry Chapin called The Cats in the Cradle. It's one of those songs that if you're listening to and you're by yourself, it's very easy to get emotional too because throughout the song, the, the, the father talks about how he couldn't do this with his kid and he couldn't do this with his kid and he couldn't do this with his kid. He was super busy, super busy, super busy. And at the end of the song, when the kid became an adult, he was too busy for his dad. And at the end of the song, it says this, my kid grown up just like me. My boy was just like me. He influenced his son and paid the price for it. May it not be said of you and I that two generations from now, our grandkids don't know Christ because we didn't influence them. Church, Use your influence so that people in your life, in your community, your kids and your grandkids will have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. Use your influence for kingdom work this week. Let me pray for you today. Today, God, we wanna thank you for your word. The story from handed down from the faith from Moses to Joshua, Joshua to his followers. And it's that group of people, Lord, They just kind of settled. They conquered this city, but they let the inhabitants of that city influence their morality, influence their worship, influence their daily life. And what happened was, is your hand of blessing was removed from them. And we read through the book of Judges, the up and down relationship that the children of Israel have. You'd send in a deliverer, a judge, to kind of whip them back into shape. We need to restore worship. We need to destroy these gods. We need to destroy these false things that people are watching. And they would conquer and win. And then the next generation would fall away from you. And we don't read these stories to talk bad about the children of Israel because we do the same thing. Help us, Father, never to turn our back on you and help us to embrace the privilege we have to influence the next generation 
And may the greatest thing they remember about us not just be what we give them, not just be what we did for a living or the kind of car that we had or the awesome house that we have, but may the greatest thing that they remember about their grandmas and grandpas, their moms and dads be, my mom and dad loved Jesus. My grandmother and grandfather loved God and served him with all their heart. Lord, help us to pass an authentic faith to the generations that follow us. Bless them. We ask you today in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching today. Hang in for some great announcements. God bless.